Um, I don't know how many of you like to go to the gym or to work out, and um, maybe you enjoy going for kind of 10-mile runs or, you know, different kind of crazy stuff like that. Or maybe you're more like me and um, your kind of attitude to exercise is it's on an an as-required basis. Um, But, you know, whichever it is, I imagine that that all of you are aware that if you're into fitness and exercise or not, that there's all these different kind of um, things that you've been designed now that you can eat and drink uh, to try and help your body be in the best possible way in order to kind of build up your muscles or in order to maintain energy or to restore your fluids and all of those different kind of things. And one of the drinks which has been designed, which is around and probably one of the most well-known ones is Gatorade. I don't know if any of you have ever had Gatorade. Uh, it's um, a little bit like Lucasade, that kind of a thing. But Gatorade has a catchphrase. And Gatorade's catchphrase is, you've got to sweat it to get it. You've got to sweat it to get it. You know, it um, all sounds a little bit funny, doesn't it, when it comes to getting a drink. You know, it's a lot of work to go through just to, to get a, a drink. You know, but the reality is that often I think we go through life with this kind of a mentality. You know, we, that you've got to sweat it to get it. You've got to work hard to earn what you have. You've got to work hard to build a good reputation. To, to care for your family, to have success in your career. You know, and actually within the world that we live, there's some truth in that statement, isn't there? You've got to sweat it to get it. If you don't work hard, you're not going to get very far. And what can happen is that we end up shaping our sense of identity and our belonging and our purpose we kind of try to end up trying to answer those questions that we talked about last week of who am I and where do I belong and what am I living for based out of our success. Based on, on what we have and what we feel we've earned and what we feel we deserve and how people treat us and, and kind of way they affirm us. And as we talked about last week, when we we base our sense of identity and belonging and and purpose on these kind of things, then, then in the end, what happens is we start to become pretty insecure. Because in order to maintain our sense of self-worth and our identity, we've got to keep matching up to that standard that we've set. We've got to keep working hard. We've got to keep attaining. In order to feel like we belong, we feel like we've got to be more. And we've got to win people over and make people like us. And if if we don't keep making people like us, then we stop feeling like we're accepted and like we belong. Essentially, we feel like we've got to sweat it to get it. And because this is the kind of world that we, we live in, and it's the kind of way that we're so used to thinking... It's easy to carry this mentality into our faith as well. To feel like if we want the blessing of God, if we want the favor of God and to be accepted by God, then we've got to sweat it to get it. We need to put the work in and earn it. And actually, that's pretty much what every religion around the world teaches. In one way or another, when you boil it down. Apart from Christianity. When we look at Jesus and what he shows us and what he teaches us, we find that God did the sweating, that God did the work, and we get the blessing. And when we get hold of this, it changes everything. 
And that's why we're taking some time in our series, Life in Color, to look at the book of Ephesians and to unpack something of what Paul talks about as he deals with all of this. You see, when Paul writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, he was writing to a, a group of people who lived in a religious world view that pretty much was just summed up with this idea that you've got to sweat it to get it, that you've got to work hard in order to get God's blessing and to get the favor of the gods. And he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. It was the fourth largest city in the world. There was over a quarter of a million people who lived there, but it was dominated by religion. It was dominated by gods and goddesses of all different types. There was the goddess Diana there, and the statue to the goddess Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. These people knew what it was to be religious. And then we read in Acts 19 about when Paul first turned up in Ephesus and and he found that there were some people there who called themselves disciples. He got to know them and spent time with them, but something didn't quite sit right. And so he ends up asking them, do you have the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no idea what you're talking about. And Paul asked them, well, what do you know? And they said, well, we've got the, the good news of John the baptizer to repent, to turn away from our old way of living and start to live God's way, to be good people, to be godly people. We've got the news that you've got to sweat it to get it. And Paul then goes on and to tell them all about Jesus. And how Jesus died for them, how he was raised again, how he sent the Holy Spirit. And in response to them listening to Paul, this group of of people chose to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then Paul, he lays his hands on them and he prays for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything changes for them. And then Paul stays there for the next two and a half years, teaching them and leading the church there. These people were religious. They were dedicated disciples, determined to follow God. But they only had part of the news. And so they lived with this mentality that they got to sweat it to get it. And Paul came along to tell them there was more that God had for them. That they hadn't gotten hold of the whole of the news of who Jesus was. The whole of the good news that was available. And you know, if we're not careful, we can lose sight of the whole of the good news of Jesus. And we can end up going through the motions. We can end up coming to church. We can end up serving and giving and trying to be good people. And forgetting what it's all about. And it might be that today you relate to that. That you feel like you've been missing something. That actually it's all just become a bit empty and you feel like you're working hard. But it doesn't quite seem right. When you hear about all these different things that it's meant to be to follow Jesus. And today God is wanting to say that there is more. There is more that he has for you. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to try and take a step back from all of the busyness, to take a step back from all of the things that you feel like you've got to do and that you're working out and these important things, all the things that you're struggling with, and just simply allow God to speak to you. 
not just to engage your minds and to kind of make sure this is truth that you agree with, but to open your hearts and allow God to speak to you. Allow him to begin to show you who he is and what he's done for you. And to begin to shape your identity and your sense of belonging and your purpose around what he says. So to help us with that this morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 14, which contains some amazing truth for us. Amazing truth about what God has done. In fact, this is a, a crazy sentence. Um, it's, it's one long, ginormous sentence in the original Greek. We've chopped it up into different sections to make it readable and understandable, but it's almost like you have this moment where, where Paul, as he starts to write, is just so overwhelmed with all that God has done, with all of the blessings that we have, that he just can't contain himself, and it just keeps on going and going and going until he's written 202 words in one big, long sentence to try and get to us, how awesome is this? What God's done? And when Paul talks about how blessed we are, what it is that's available for every single one of us who are in Christ, who've made that decision to follow Jesus, to accept Jesus as king, it doesn't mean that when we start to follow Jesus that that life just becomes nice and easy and it's all rainbows and butterflies. Paul is well aware that even in the midst of the blessing, even in the midst of all of this stuff that he can't contain himself with, that life can be hard. He's writing this letter to the Ephesians while he's stuck in jail, in prison. And he's writing it to a group of people who are having to live through a time when there are riots. There are crowds which are coming up who are wanting to take hold of them and take them to an arena to have them killed. These are people who who knew that, that following Jesus wasn't all nice and easy and smiles and sunshine. These are people who had every reason to, to, to look at their circumstances and ask, does God really love for me? Is this all for real? But in the midst of his difficulties, Paul makes a choice. And he encourages the Ephesians and you and me today to, to make that same choice. And that choice is to focus on the blessings. Because it's easy, isn't it, when life is hard, when there's difficulties getting on, to focus on those hard things and to, to, to almost end up looking for them. We, we almost end up looking for those reasons to feel disappointed or to feel anger or to feel bitterness about what's going on and to, to ask those questions. I was chatting with um, Roger and Yvonne earlier and they were talking about this neighbor who came up and just wanted to blast them and you almost end up with this mentality sometimes that you're just looking for some excuse, some reason to explode, to be angry. And when we focus on the hard things, when we look for those things, we'll find them. We will find them in our circumstances. We will find them in our relationships with people and in our marriages. We will find them in our relationship with God. If that is what you're focused on and what you're looking for, you'll find it. And it's the exact same thing when we choose to focus on our blessings. When we take God at his word, that he loves us and that he's for us, and we take him at his word with all of the things that he's blessed us with, when we start looking for those blessings, we'll find them. And we'll see things in a different way. And we'll see just how amazing God is, even in the midst of difficulties. And so as we go through these blessings, maybe um, you want to try and write them down. 
so you can remind yourself of them, so you can focus on them, so you can thank God for them. Maybe you want to make a decision that this week, every day you're going to actively look for God's blessings and just make that choice this week that you want to make that your focus and the things that you look for. Maybe you want to make that decision. I want to reread these verses every day this week. This long sentence of 202 words, I want to reread it so that it gets into my heart and I get hold of what it is that God has done. And how much he loves me. So, why don't we read it together? Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. This is what Paul says. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. That is one long sentence, isn't it? And there are some amazing truths in there. And I just want to pull out a a few of the blessings that Paul encourages us with. So the first thing that we see is that we are chosen and adopted in Christ. You know, God's desire and plan for you to be blessed didn't start, and it doesn't start when you become a Christian. God had a plan for you before you were even born. He had a plan for you before your parents were even born. He had a plan for you before the creation of the world. You are not an accident. You were made on purpose, and you are wanted. Others might reject you, and it hurts, but God chooses you every time. And because he chose you before the creation of the world, he chose you before you had a chance to do anything. You couldn't do anything good to make him want you. You couldn't do anything good to to kind of earn that choice, to try and earn his acceptance. We are chosen by God, not because of anything that we have done, but because of Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, not just that we're chosen to be God's people, but that we're adopted into God's family. And there is something incredibly beautiful about adoption. You know, some of you here inspire me because you've fostered and you've adopted. And and when we, we look at adoption, I think it reflects something of the heart of God. 
there was a, a class of school children and um, they were looking at a, a, a picture of a family in a photo and they were having to discuss it as part of their lesson. Um, and one of the boys had different colored hair than all of the others. And they were trying to discuss and coming up with different ideas as to why this was the case. And, and one of the kids said, well, maybe he was adopted. And another child said, well, what's adoption? And this little girl then piped up and she said, I know all about adoptions because I was adopted. This is what it means. It means that I grew in my mummy's heart instead of in her tummy. Isn't that amazing? You know, the great news is that not only does God choose you, but you were in God the Father's heart. You were in his heart. You grew in his heart before the foundation, before the creation of the world. He chose you and he desired you to be his child. And this means that we have an incredibly personal and intimate relationship with God. That he loves us, that he is always with us, that we can talk to him about anything. It means that God's ear is especially tuned into your voice. You get this if you're, if you're parents. You can be parents and, and if you're in this big crowd, if you're here in church and you, you hear a child cry, you just go, oh, it doesn't matter, it's not mine. And then you hear your child cry and like a shot, you're up and out your seat without having seen them because you know their voice and your ear is tuned into what they sound like. That's God's heart for you. His ear is attuned to you. No, but being chosen and adopted doesn't just mean that we're accepted, doesn't just mean that we're valued, doesn't mean we just have a new identity and we belong and that God loves us, as amazing all of those things are. It actually means that we also have purpose. You see, being adopted in the ancient world, when Paul wrote about this and talked about this, didn't just mean that you gained access to, to the family, you became part of the family and you got the family's resources, it also meant that you got the family's responsibilities. And it also meant that you got the family's authority. It meant that you joined the family business. You have an amazing purpose if you are in Christ today. You're now employed in a new family business. A family business to love the unlovable. To point a broken world to Jesus. To give of yourself and all of your resources to this family business to advance God's kingdom. And this is a purpose for every single one of us. You don't have to have done a whole load of training. You don't have to have got your life sorted out and feel like you're on track before you can start. God knows all of the mistakes that we'll make. He knows where we're at and he invites us anyway to be a part of the family business. He has a great purpose for you. And knowing something of God's purpose for us and beginning to, to think that way and to get our heads around it, to feel like, okay, I've got a new job. I've been employed by a new master. I'm part of a new family business. If we really begin to get our heads around that and to think that way, it changes the way we make decisions. It has huge implications for our lives. When we understand that we've been adopted that doesn't just mean we get the joys of being a child. It means we get the responsibility of being part of his family. He has a purpose for us. 
So we are chosen and adopted in Christ. And we don't have to sweat it to get it. It's a gift. And it's a matter of us now learning to live from that place of blessing rather than feeling like we've got to try and earn it. So the next thing that we see then is that we are redeemed and forgiven in Christ. Now, in our culture, we don't really talk about redemption and things. We talk about times when we feel trapped by something, times when we feel like we can't help but do something, times when we feel like we're, we're stuck or controlled or addicted. We talk about things that we want to be set free from, whether that's habits or whether that's worries and fears and anxieties or whether it's anger and guilt. And, you know, when the Bible talks about these things, though, it talks about it quite differently. It talks about these things in the language of slavery. It describes these things that we want to be be free from as things that have mastered or enslaved us and that are harming us and destroying us. And the way that a slave was set free, the language of setting a slave free is that they're redeemed. Someone has to come along and to pay the price for you to be free. Let me tell you a little story to help illustrate this. I um, came across this story of a, a, a slave in Africa called Gara. And he was slave to a great African chief called Libby. And Libby was a cruel master. And so one time, Gara tried to run away. And, and he managed to escape. But then he was hunted down, he was pursued, he was caught, he was put in chains, and he was being brought back by, by Libby and, and this group of people, being brought back to, to where he was meant to be. And on their way back, they came across an English trader. And this English trader said, I'll give you gold, I'll pay the price to set him free. But Libby said, I don't want gold. He ran away. I need blood. And then at Libby's sign, an archer knocked an arrow and pointed it at Gara. And the English trader, without even really thinking, just kind of threw his arm in the way. And as he threw his arm between the arrow and the slave, it cut him. And blood started to trickle down his arm. And the English trader looked at Libby and he said, you seek blood. Here it flows. I claim your slave. And then turning to the slave, he said, Gara, you have been bought by my blood. Your life now belongs to me. I give it to you. And Jesus did something like that, but so much more wonderful for each one of us to redeem us from slavery, to set us free from sin and shame and guilt and addictions and all these things that we feel stuck in. Jesus, he stood between the judgment that should have been ours and us. And he allowed his blood to be shed. He allowed himself to be whipped and beaten and scourged. He allowed a crown of thorns to be pressed on his head so that blood ran down his face. He allowed nails to be smashed through his wrists and his ankles. He died on the cross in our place. So that you and I might forever be forgiven. And free. 
He has paid the price for every wrong thing that we have ever done and ever will do. We don't have to try and hide our sin and our mistakes. We don't have to try and make excuses for them and justify ourselves. We don't have to try and make up for them and kind of try and balance the scales. We just have to receive forgiveness. And Jesus looks at you today, if you are in Christ, and he says, I forgive you. I want you to know it, and I want you to feel it. I forgive you. The amazing thing is that to be redeemed means more than just to be forgiven. Because we're not only set free from having to pay the price and the consequences of our wrong things, but we're set free from the power of sin. We're set free from the control that it has in our lives. From that sense of being trapped and stuck and hopeless in cycles of behavior, in ways of thinking, in selfishness or fear or anger or addiction. None of it is our master anymore. Because Jesus has come along and he's set us free. And I don't know if there's something that you feel like you are trapped in or enslaved to. Whether it's a, some kind of thing, like habit, like food or sex or money. Or whether it's something internal inside with this kind of way of doing life where you're just driven to be in control. Or this way of doing life where you're, you're driven to, to please people, to feel accepted. No, whatever it is, Jesus has come to set you free. And when you are in Christ, his promise is that he will strengthen you and he will enable you with his grace, by his spirit, so that you can walk and live in that freedom, that you don't have to stay in that place. So we are redeemed and we are forgiven in Christ. We don't have to sweat it to get it. It's a gift. And it's a matter of us now learning to live from that place of freedom, not trying to earn it. The last thing then that I'm going to pull out, there's so much we could talk about, the last thing I'm going to pull out from what Paul says here is that we are secure and expectant in Christ. And Paul says right at the end of these verses, says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You know, throughout the letter to the Ephesians, Paul keeps coming back again and again to the work of the Holy Spirit. And here he says that we are sealed by his Spirit, and he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. See, God wants us to be secure in our identity. In all of the things that we've been talking about this morning and all of the things that he, he says about who we are and who, who he's made us to be and what he's done. To know without a shadow of a doubt that we're his. And that's part of what the work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. See, in, in the ancient world, if you were a king or a, a nobleman, it may still happen in places today, but if you were a king or a nobleman going back years, you would have had a seal. You would have had some kind of symbol that... You would mark things with to show that they belong to you. And, and you often see this in films with, with letters that are sent. And you, you'll see them get the wax and the ring and they'll kind of put their ring in the hot wax and then they'll, they'll put it, press it into the letter. So the, the, the letter is sealed shut with their mark. 
and they did send the letter. And what that seal meant is this letter belongs to me. It's mine. Don't mess with the seal. And if you mess with the seal, I will know because the seal will be broken. If you mess with the seal, you mess with me. And there will be consequences. You make sure this letter gets where it's meant to be going and no one opens it who isn't meant to. And in the same way, when you are in Christ, God stamps you with his seal. With the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's his way of of saying, you belong to me. You're mine. You're under my protection. And I will keep you safe. And I will make sure you get through and make it through to the end. That you'll get where you're going, where you're meant to be. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to assure us of that truth. That we know that we are in Christ, that we belong to him, that we are safe and secure. But the Holy Spirit is also pictured here by Paul as a deposit. And if you think of the kind of things you put a deposit down, or maybe on a car or on a house, then you begin to get something of what this means. Because a deposit is part of a whole payment, isn't it? You know, when you, you put a deposit down, you're putting down a portion of the whole amount. And so the person who's selling the item gets a little bit of what's coming. And that, that deposit then guarantees that it belongs to you. But the deposit also guarantees to the other person that there's more on the way. And, and the same is, is true of the Holy Spirit. It's like a down payment in our lives. A foretaste of what God has for us in eternity. It's not the fullness. There is more to come. But it's a guarantee that that more is coming. We get to enjoy something of who God is, something of his presence, something of his blessing in the here and now. But we are expectant for the future, that the best is yet to come, that what we have now is just a a foretaste. And that's why Paul can be stuck in prison, writing to a group of Christians who are being killed, and yet not fearful about the future. He's still full of joy and hope and optimism. He knows that while in the, his immediate future is full of so many uncertainties, that his ultimate future is guaranteed. That his eternal future with God is secure and he is expectant. And the good news, if you feel like this world is unraveling around you, and we all go through seasons when we feel like that, is that in the midst of it, you can be secure. You can know that God is with you. You can know that God is for you. You can know that God is protecting you and that he will lead you through to your final destination. And you can be expectant because you know that the best is yet to come. That we don't have to, we don't have to fear. You know, we, we should, it's right and it's good and we should pray for breakthrough. We should pray for God to move and to bring change in situations in the here and now. He calls on us to do that. And it's right and we, we should be not just writing off this world. We should be working to, to, to protect the environment. We should be working to, to bring reconciliation and keep people united together and be at peace with one another 
But all of that we do not from a place of fear. But from a place of being secure and expectant. Knowing that Jesus is coming again and he is going to make all things new. That the best is yet to come. And if we can get our heads around these truths, and if we can get these truths into our hearts, and allow them to begin to shape the way that we think, to shape our identity and our sense of belonging and our purpose in this life, then it will change everything. And all of these blessings, Paul says, are available to everyone who is in Christ. And if you're not sure if that's you today, then I want to encourage you to seize the opportunity that we have this morning to change that. To simply make that decision to say, Jesus, I want to stop living for myself and going my own way. And I choose to follow you. I choose to make you my king. And in an instant, without you having to do a thing to earn it, You're adopted and chosen. You're forgiven and redeemed. And you're secure and you can be expectant. You don't have to earn it. It is a gift of God. And when you receive that gift, it begins a lifelong journey of learning that you, while you don't have to sweat it to get it, that it's all been freely given, it begins a lifelong journey of shifting our thinking so that we live from that place of what God has given us. So that we can live from that place of being secure in him, part of the family business. Rather than trying to earn it and feel like we can never quite match up. And so if, if you want to make that decision today, then I want to encourage you to, to come and speak to me afterwards or speak to someone you came with. Or come with all of a we get some guys here at the front and they would love to pray with you. Come and share with them that that's what you're wanting to do. I'd love to, to pray with you this morning. If you're here though and you say, you know what, I know I am in Christ, then that is fantastic. There is no better place to be. And there are two ways that I want to encourage you to respond today. It might be that you relate to the disciples in Ephesus. And you're not really sure who the Holy Spirit is. And we talk about him, but you're like, I'm not really sure about that. I'm not sure I've experienced that. I don't really know much about it. And if that's the case, then like Paul, I want to invite you to receive the Holy Spirit. And to we'll follow his example in that. And these guys who are available at the front, what Paul says is he lays hands on them and he prays for them and they receive the Spirit. So these guys at the front, we'd love for you to come and to, to say to them, I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to experience something more of the Holy Spirit. And they would love to lay hands on you and pray for you. To know God at work in your life in that kind of a way. So that you don't have to question and doubt, but you can be assured and secure in who you are in Christ. You can be expectant because you've got that down payment of God with you. The second way then that I want to encourage you to respond this morning if, if you would say that you're in Christ is to follow Paul's example in a different way. You might have picked up when we read through the verses together that um, repeatedly through those verses, I think it's three times, he tells us that God does all of these different things. God blesses us in all of these different ways to the praise of his glory. 
He does all of it so that we would see how great he is. So that we would see how awesome he is. And our hearts would be captured by him and in love for him. And we would be stirred to shout and cheer and sing and praise God. And so the band are going to come up and ask Dom and Jenny just to come up and to, to lead us in a time of praise. But I want to encourage you this week to make time to look for blessings. To read through these verses again and again. To look for the blessings in every day. To focus on what it is that God has done for you and what that means for you. And then prioritize out of that praise. Prioritize out of that time to thank and to praise and to sing and to cheer and to shout. To, to maybe like Paul, sit down and say, well, I just want to kind of start writing and just see where I end up about all the blessings that what God has done for me. And maybe we'll get some crazy sentences that are 202 words long or longer. But let's just find ways to respond to God, to allow his truth to hit our hearts, to be moved and to be stirred to praise him and to give him all the glory that he deserves.